You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A rude awakening for some Maple Ridge residents on a family weekend Sunday. The tires on their vehicles slashed. The brazen and senseless crime spree targeted more than 20 vehicles, some with several tires damaged. As Kristen Robinson reports, late this afternoon, police released a suspect photo. It's a bad way to start a Sunday, for sure. People living in a Maple Ridge neighborhood woke up deflated. This morning and I saw the tires flat. And frustrated. I'm a little annoyed that they're, you know, they hit so many vehicles in this neighborhood. That's senseless. It's stupid. Anyway, it's ridiculous. Ridge Meadows RCMP investigating after 25 incidents of mischief overnight. Right here. Targeting vehicles near Morse Crescent and 224th Street. I think there's 20 or 30 vehicles with either one or two tires slashed. The alleged vandal also leaving his mark on surveillance. Police releasing these images of a suspect seen near two vehicles, wearing a dark jacket with a gray hood, dark pants with a gray or white stripe, a black ball cap, and black shoes with red soles. It's sad how someone can do this, and it's disgusting. You never know what's, what's in people's heads. More than a dozen drivers forced to spend family day weekend fixing the damage. Whoever it was must not have been very strong because they couldn't even poke all the way through on those tires on my truck. But there's still a write-off because they got poke marks into them. It's stupid, right? Like, whatever. Anyway, and the deductible won't cover the tires, obviously. Vandalism claims are covered by ICBC Comprehensive Insurance, but depending on your deductible cost, you may be better off paying for new tires yourself. It is what it is, right? Hopefully it's uh, only one-time deal, this. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police in the Fraser Valley are investigating a suspicious death. An Abbotsford resident called 911 yesterday afternoon after finding a body on the side of the road in the 37,000 block of Keeping Road. Abbotsford police are working with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, which is taking, con taking conduct of this probe. If you have any information about this death, call IHIT or Crime Stoppers. Police cordoned off a condo tower in the 1200 block of Seymour Street in downtown Vancouver to execute a search warrant for a possible drug lab in a suite. The VPD says because of the possible prevalence of fentanyl, Vancouver Fire and Rescue, along with a hazmat team, were also on site. One lane of Seymour between Drake and Davey was closed for the investigation. The blockade of a rail line in East Vancouver Saturday ended peacefully last night with Vancouver police enforcing a court injunction ordering activists to leave. It comes in the wake of days of demonstrations right across the country over a controversial LNG pipeline project in northern B.C., one that's put the actions of police and protesters in the spotlight. And as Paul Johnson reports, it has drawn both praise and criticism. When Vancouver police dismantled the blockade of a rail line Saturday night, demonstrators were dispersed in a peaceful and orderly manner. The frontline officers had only their usual service pistols, and if a tactical team with bigger weapons was on hand, they were out of sight. The RCMP operation that ended the blockade near Houston had a different posture, with the presence of a tactical team armed with long-barreled weapons. 
Well, the Mounties presumably had reasons for that level of response. One of the defining images of that incident is certain to be this. A still frame from video shot by protesters where one of the Mounties is pointing his weapon at them. The RCMP has confirmed this did in fact take place and that it was an approved tactic where the Mountie was using the scope on his weapon to better observe the protesters. Global News has heard from a number of current and former government officials and resource industry executives who acknowledge the danger and difficulty police face in these situations, but also say it's a valid question whether the optics from that RCMP operation inflamed the situation. I didn't see that clear and present danger. Jim Sassford is a retired police chief who had a look at the video Sunday. If you're going to bring weapons out there on the front line, um, and if there isn't that immediate threat, I think that that's, uh, that's what you're going to do then is escalate the situation. As fallout from the dismantling of that blockade continues to cripple Canada's economy, it's an open question as to how much more there is to learn about balancing safety, rule of law, and the use of force in traditional First Nations territory. Paul Johnson, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is cancelling his planned trip to the Caribbean this week following criticism over his government's handling of the anti-pipeline protests. In southern Ontario, members of the Mohawk Nation are maintaining their protest blockade at a major rail line. That's despite yesterday's meeting with the federal Indigenous Services Minister. Global's Camille Karamali has more on what went on behind closed doors and what lies ahead. A day after a highly publicized meeting with the Indigenous Services Minister, the blockade along the railway tracks east of Belleville, Ontario, still stands. No reporters, no cameras allowed past the tracks, but protesters say the feeling in the area since that highly anticipated meeting has been tense, and some don't feel it will change much anytime soon. Thank you. Minister Mark Miller met with Mohawk First Nation leaders Saturday, hoping to start a dialogue which could ultimately put an end to the blockade. That meeting went from the camp to a nearby community centre, lasting nine hours. We made uh, some modest progress. On Sunday, Miller shedding light on what went on behind closed doors. They were very suspicious of me going in there. Uh, they thought it was perhaps a trick. It wasn't. We ate, we talked, we laughed. There was a, there was a lot of tears that were shed. And we talked about some of the challenges. He added he has to talk to the Prime Minister about a number of actions. But time is ticking and patience is wearing thin. The rail line connects travellers between Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal, as well as moving millions of dollars of goods. The Mohawk First Nations protest, a stance of solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en First Nation in northern B.C., who oppose a liquefied natural gas pipeline that would run through their traditional territory. Demonstrators at this blockade say they're not too optimistic about the next steps that meeting with the Indigenous Services Minister could bring and are here for the long haul. I like a line of communication, but I'm, I'm a little cynical. Supporters coming and going throughout the day, bringing all sorts of supplies. I've got a whole bunch of really high-quality wool socks. We've got some toilet paper, some blankets. We have some food. A wide variety of uh, odds and ends. To keep the demonstrators warm and well-fed, since for now there seems to be no end in sight for the blockades. Kamel Karamali, Global News. 
Nearly a week after demonstrators shut down the B.C. legislature, another major rally is planned for Victoria on Tuesday, but this time in support of the struggling forestry industry. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us with more on that. And Keith, the timing on this demonstration is important. Yeah, potentially very interesting what could uh, take place on the front lawn and steps of the B.C. legislature come Tuesday. Because, yes, three to 5,000 forest workers and their families are expected to descend upon the legislature. They have a permit for a protest. It's not a, it's not a protest, actually. It's not a protest against the government. It's a rally in support of the forest industry. As you say, it's been struggling for some time. But at the same time, there is concern what could happen if the protesters against the pipeline show up, not necessarily blocking the doors as they're not allowed to now with that injunction in place, but they could be side by side with thousands of people who I don't think share the same view that they have when it comes to resource industries, whether it's forestry or natural gas. So it could be an interesting scene on the front lawn and steps. Uh, I can tell you there's a little apprehension down here, Colleen. People are still rattled what happened last Tuesday, and everybody's got their fingers crossed that nothing untoward happens on this Tuesday uh, on Budget Day, which of course is probably rivals only throne speech day when it comes to potentially drawing a crowd on the front lawn. It should be interesting. Now, Keith, what do you expect from the budget? Not a heck of a lot. Uh, this is the budget for the, for the current year, tabled a year ago this month. Uh, basically, is a three-year fiscal plan. So we sort of know the numbers that are going to be in Tuesday's budget. By and large, there's going to be some changes. But don't expect Carol James to come in with huge new spending. She doesn't have a lot of money to play with. Uh, but the budget will be balanced, we expect, albeit with a tiny surplus. I'm interested to see what she expects on the revenue side. That will tell us, give us a pretty good indication, where the finance ministry thinks the B.C. economy is, is at both today and in the coming year. That's where I'm going to be looking at is on the revenue side, much more so on the spending side. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. Canadians stuck on board a COVID-19 quarantined cruise ship off the coast of Yokohama, Japan, will soon be heading back to Canada. The federal government is organizing an evacuation flight, but as Grace Key reports, one BC man is already heading out of Asia, courtesy of the Americans. This was actually 4.10 this morning. This is when I was very happy that he made it because they tested people before they left. And if you didn't pass that test, you're not getting on the bus, which means you're not getting on the plane. Scott Fahrenbacher is one step closer to being reunited with his son, Spencer. He's been optimistic. He's been even. He's been very positive. Spencer is one of the 3,700 passengers who have been quarantined on the Diamond Princess in Japan for two weeks. He's a permanent Canadian resident, but as an American citizen, he'll be on a U.S. flight. His family, back in Fort Langley, won't be able to see him for another two weeks while in quarantine at a military base either in California or Texas. He's going to be in a much safer place, and so I don't mind the extra two weeks. He doesn't mind the extra two weeks. It's just not on the Diamond Princess. Spencer has been studying in Tianjin, China for almost two years. He was celebrating Chinese New Year with friends on the ship and doesn't know when he'll see them again. None of us are really sure if and when we're going back to China. It, it's just created a kind of a, a, a lot of emotions to process all at once. Sometime this week, some of the 255 Canadians on board will also be flying home. Anyone with symptoms will remain in Japan. Others will be flown to Canada Forces Base in Trenton in Ontario where they be assessed and then quarantined for 14 days at NAV Canada Training Institute in Cornwall. As for Spencer, he can't wait to be reunited with his family back in Fort Langley. The plan is to go meet my dad, sit down at a trading post brewery there in Fort Langley and have a, a good beer and a good chicken sandwich, some yam fries. Grace Key, Global News. 
The Canadian Federation of Nurses Union is calling on Ottawa to do more to protect frontline health care workers from outbreaks like COVID-19. The labour organization says safety protocols from the Public Health Agency of Canada are inadequate because they assume the virus cannot be spread through the air. They say the science hasn't confirmed that yet, and the nurses' unions want government guidelines to include greater care until they are 100% sure. The Federation believes the current protocols may be putting healthcare workers and patients at risk. It's like a firefighter. They don't know what they're going to have when they jump into a building, so they're well protected from head to toe. When we enter a room with a potential infectious a contagious patient, we have to be protected from head to toe because we can't be analyzing is it airborne or droplet. Well, we have issued um, our concerns both to the provincial health officer in BC as well as uh, to the to the federal government, uh, saying that until we know more about this disease, uh, healthcare workers should really be utilizing the precautionary principle, uh, and considering that it may also be aerosolized or an airborne spread of coronavirus. And so, with patients who are admitted to hospital who are showing certainly symptoms, um, all. All steps should be taken to protect the healthcare worker who will be providing care for that person. At this point, we are concerned there's, there seems to be limited access to N95 masks, uh, and many in this hospital, or many of the sites in our hospitals across BC, um, those have been uh, restricted or locked up. Federal protocols are in line with the World Health Organization, but the Ontario government and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control have recommended higher standards. The Public Health Agency of Canada has not responded to a request for comment. A candlelight vigil is planned tomorrow for Mark to mark the two-year anniversary of an Alberta man's disappearance from Sun Peak Ski Resort near Kamloops. What happened to Ryan Stuka remains a mystery. The 20-year-old from Beaumont, Alberta, vanished without a trace a few months after moving to B.C. to work at Sun Peaks. Stuka was last seen in the early hours of February 17, 2018, leaving a house party at the resort. An exhaustive search and rescue effort turned up nothing. Police say there is no evidence he left Sun Peaks. A vigil and group walk will be held in the village at 5.30 tomorrow afternoon. Three Delta police officers are getting some new gear after it got a workout in the mud. The officers were called to Tawasson's English Bluff Beach Saturday after teens called 911 to report a 12-year-old girl stuck in the mud in low tide. The teens had already rescued her brother. The Delta police dug in to help firefighters rescue the girl before the tide rolled back in. Police just across the border near Tacoma, Washington, are alerting families about a terrifying and elaborate baby snatching scheme. They say a new mom may have been drugged by a phony baby photographer who intended to steal her infant. A 38-year-old woman and her 16-year-old daughter are under arrest. Police in Tacoma, Washington, say the pair drugged a new mom and tried to kidnap her three-week-old infant by posing as baby photographers. She wanted a girl, and she wanted him five weeks and younger, younger so she could raise it herself, take it out of state, and pretend it was a newborn of her own. In this Facebook post, a woman calling herself Juliet Parker offered free newborn photography sessions to build her portfolio. 
the alleged victim, a single mom, grew suspicious when Parker took selfies with her baby and wiped her fingerprints off items she touched. She says Parker's daughter gave her a cupcake that left her feeling numb and drowsy. She called 911 to report she'd been drugged, and that's when she noticed her house keys were missing. Authorities say they do expect more victims to come forward, and they've put out an alert on social media to gather more information about the fake photographer. Gabby Romeo's baby girl is due on Monday. Parker was supposed to photograph her birth. This birth is so emotional, and it's like to think I almost let someone like that around my family. In a further twist... I want to make Colorado Springs a happy and safe and prosperous place for all of our residents. The suspect reportedly once ran for mayor of Colorado Springs. Now she's charged with kidnapping and assault, expected in court on Tuesday after a haunting plot uncovered just in time. Sarah Harmon, NBC News. A man has been charged in a brazen tow truck theft in downtown Vancouver. 41-year-old Leo Joseph George is accused of motor vehicle theft and dangerous driving after a BCAA tow truck was stolen while its operator was hooking up another person's car. It happened Thursday afternoon on Granville Street near Smythe. Police say the suspect jumped into the tow truck, tried to drive it away while it was towing the car, but quickly smashed into a bike share station. A flower vendor was also almost hit. George was arrested nearby and remains in custody with a court date next month. A Vancouver vet has a warning for pet owners after a dog survived an overdose of a medication you likely have at home. Ninja is recovering at Canada West Vet Clinic after a frightening few days. His owners returned home Tuesday to find a chewed-up ibuprofen bottle with most of the 400-milligram capsules missing. The nine-year-old Shiba Inu somehow ingested at least 37 tablets, which he threw up. He couldn't stand up when he arrived at the vet's office. Fortunately, Can Canada West pioneered a specialized pet dialysis technique using charcoal filtering. He was in really rough shape. He had um, severe arrhythmias, um, he was uptunded, he had neurological signs from it, he had vomited a, a couple of times. And what we can do here, we can use a procedure called hemoperfusion where we actually go ahead and remove the toxin directly out of the bloodstream with a hemodialysis machine. It was a pretty um, close call. Ninja's massive dose could have been fatal without quick action and appropriate treatment. Dr. Ban urges pet owners to lock up medications so that animals and children can't access them. How do you find an elk in a haystack? Well, on Thursday, conservation officers in Smithers got a call about an elk trapped in a collapsed haystack. When they arrived, they saw only the elk's tail and two back legs sticking out. When a backhoe began removing the hay, another elk was found buried in the stack. Both elk were eventually freed with the help of the machine and able to walk away from their hidden nap spot unharmed. A very B.C. tradition in the South Caribou has a new location this year. Have a look. The 2020 outhouse races were held on Highway 24 in Lone Butte today. Participants taking off from the baseball diamond behind the Iron Horse Pub. First place for design and originality went to the Deuce Coupe. Congratulations to Wayne Berg of Bridge Lake for sharing these photos. <laughs> 
Ontario Provincial Police say the search for a nine-year-old boy who fell through the ice on Lake Erie is now a recovery operation. First responders were called to Peacock Point, a community outside of Hamilton yesterday afternoon, after two boys were swept away by a wave on the lake. Passersby managed to rescue an eight-year-old boy, but the other boy did not surface. This morning, incoming ice made it too dangerous for an underwater search. Police say they're doing their best to find the boy's body as quickly as possible. We hope so, uh, to give the family, you know, a little bit of uh, closure. Um, I mean, they're absolutely uh, devastated, and I can't even imagine what they're going through right now. A 10-year-old girl who was with the boys and ran for help was not hurt. A skier appears to have suffocated after he became trapped in a lift at a Colorado resort. Authorities say the man died when he slipped through a gap in the chairlift and his coat wrapped around his neck. An initial investigation found the chairlift's folding seat was upright instead of in the down position. The Blue Sky Basin Resort was closed for about 24 hours after the incident. In a statement, Vail Resorts, which owns Whistler Blackcomb Resorts, said the lift has been thoroughly inspected and was operating normally. More video of planes struggling to land in London. Have a look at this. This is an Etihad airliner plane trying to land at Heathrow Airport yesterday, fighting against heavy storm crosswinds. The plane hovering above the tarmac as it attempts to touch the runway. Heavy rain and strong winds from Storm Dennis hit barely a week after Storm Kira caused disruptions, flooding homes and leaving thousands in the UK without electricity. The federal U.S. the U.S. federal government, that is, plans to fund nearly 18,000 kilometers of strategic fuel breaks in five states to slow the progress of future wildfires. They'll be going up in Idaho, Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, and Utah. The government agency acknowledges wildfires are becoming bigger and more frequent across those states. No word yet on the cost. With Pink Shirt Day just 10 days away, what may be a tragic case of bullying is making headlines in the UK and around the world. A former host of a controversial reality show was found dead this weekend. Carolyn Flack took her own life, and the tabloids are accused of contributing to the 40-year-old's untimely death. Now a petition is gaining steam calling for an inquiry into the maltreatment of those in the public eye. The British media is facing calls for an inquiry into the portrayal of public figures. After the television personality and recent host of Love Island, Caroline Flack, was found dead at her home on Saturday. Leading UK tabloids are under fire for their negative coverage of Flack in recent months. And the Sun newspaper has taken down at least one article about the 40-year-old celebrity. It had posted a news piece as recently as Friday about a Valentine's Day card mocking the presenter. But that article is no longer available on its website. Step out of the way, please. By Sunday afternoon, a petition calling for a government inquiry into the, quote, maltreatment of those in the public eye had reached more than 150,000 signatures. It also cited the media treatment of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Flack had been set to face trial in just over two weeks months after she was arrested and charged with assault following a domestic dispute with her boyfriend. She had denied all allegations. Sir Elton John has been forced to cut short his New Zealand concert dates due to pneumonia. The 72-year-old musician was performing in Auckland tonight when he lost his voice and broke down in tears on stage. John posted on Instagram a short while later saying, 
I want to thank everyone who attended tonight's gig in Auckland. I was diagnosed with walking pneumonia earlier today, but I was determined to give you the best show humanly possible. I played and sang my heart out until my voice could sing no more. I'm disappointed, deeply upset, and sorry. I gave it all I had. Thank you so much for your extraordinary support and all the love you showed me during tonight's performance. I'm eternally grateful. Love, Elton. A planned implosion of a high-rise building in Dallas today did not go as planned. The 11-story structure was imploded this morning to make way for a new development. But even before the dust began to settle, it was clear the central tower of the building was still standing. Demolition crews will now have to use a high-rise excavator to bring the rest of the building down. The former computer services building will eventually be turned into a commercial and residential development. The little town that wants Meghan and Harry to make it their Canadian home. We're going to hear why right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, you got to have a look at this. You could call these hungry, hungry hippos. A baby pygmy hippopotamus born in January made her public debut at a zoo in Hungary this week. The zoo breeds hippos as part of a European breeding program that monitors and regulates when and where pygmy hippos can breed. The zoo's director said it's not yet clear where this hippo will spend most of her life. The baby will be cared for by her mother for the next year and a half. Pygmy hippos are listed as endangered, with only 2,500 thought to be living in the wild in West Africa. And Yvonne, I knew you would love that I love video. it. Very cute. Mm -hmm. He's very little now, but he is going to be big. A bit bigger. A, bit, a little bit, just a little bit. All right, Colleen, uh, we've had a fair bit of cloud cover right across the southern half of the province. We've been advertising that it will brighten up and dry out for the latter half of the long weekend, and I'll have more on that in just a moment. Wanted to start off with a beautiful photo that was sent in from Rick. Saying, Thank you so much. Showing us some of the snowfall, a few breaks, a little bit ominous, and this was in Silver Star earlier today. We do have still a bit of instability this evening, so a heads up. We could still see an isolated shower. There is the potential to see the risk of hail, wet flurries for higher elevations, and then it is really going to start to ease off, especially overnight. We're sitting at 5 with a southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Here's the instability that we're seeing. We've got a few lightning strikes just to the south of us, so we could see the risk of hail still for this evening and snowfall if you're traveling along any of the mountain passes. I wanted to give an update on some of the rainfall totals and snowfall totals out of the airport, what we've seen. We've had three days, no precipitation, and it looks like we'll see another three, and that'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mid-February uh, mid right now, we've got a total closer to 60 millimeters. The average for the month sits at 105, so we'll be keeping a close eye on the numbers over the next couple of weeks. Here's a quick glance, though. If you are traveling along the mountain passes, so we do still have a little bit of moisture this morning, there will be fog across the south coast for the early morning hours, and then it'll dissipate towards the afternoon. Brighten up dry conditions, and plenty of sunshine will be on Tuesday, Wednesday. An update on some of the mountain passes. We're still seeing some snowfall this evening. This is what it looks like along the Coquihalla. Rogers Pass could still see 5 and up to 10 centimeters before it eases off overnight. Two for the Coquihalla, Kootenay and Allison Pass, and most areas near the connectors this evening just looking at flurry. We've got a weak ridge of high pressure that is going to build in. That's great news, taking us in towards Wednesday. And then on Thursday, it does weaken, and we will be seeing a change on the way. Very chilly for the northeastern corners. The wind chill tomorrow at minus 36. And then through the day, it'll be sitting or feeling closer to minus 25. 
White Horse, a southerly wind up to 30 kilometers per hour. Wind chill for the early morning hours feeling like minus 36. North coast should remain dry. A few spots inland, especially near Terrace, could see a chance of flurries or showers. Not much in terms of accumulation. And the Caribou and Central Interior, mainly cloudy, but it, it'll, be, it'll be chilly for the morning hours with the wind chill at minus 15. Columbia and Kootenay, a few areas near Valmont and Revelstoke, could see snowfall to and up to four. Most areas, though, it is going to be a partly cloudy sky, windy at times with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Tops in Okanagan for the early morning hours, the wind chill at minus 7. Whistler tomorrow, it brightens up once the fog dissipates. Temperatures will be up to 3. And across the island, it'll be windy, especially closer to the Juan de Fuca Strait. Most areas, though, morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine. Temperatures will still be chilly if you're heading out early in the morning. We'll be hovering or close to the freezing mark. Eastern areas into the Fraser Valley, still starting off with some cloud cover. The potential is there to see some drizzle, and then it'll brighten up. We've got three days of sunshine, Colleen. It looks fantastic. And then potential change on the way will be Thursday for tomorrow to round off family day, a high of six. Very nicely planned, Yvonne. Thank you. Harry and Meghan are moving to Canada or have moved to Canada. That we know for certain. But the question remains exactly where? Well, speculation for weeks has put the safe money on Vancouver Island or Toronto. But that's not stopping a small Alberta town from throwing its hat in the ring. Global's Jesse Weisner reports. It's a small town with big dreams. Should the royal family decide to relocate here, we're friendly. And we have a really great thing going on. Okotoks is taking a run at attracting royals to this 30,000-person community. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex will soon receive a letter from Okotoks Town Council asking them to call the community home. The choice is a no-brainer for most residents. There is nowhere else in this country that I'd rather live. It's a little more laid back, I think. You know, it's, people aren't quite as in your face from what I've seen anyways. Some say it's a perfect family-oriented spot for Meghan and Harry and their little boy Archie. Others say it's beautiful outdoors compete even with Vancouver Island, where the couple has been considering moving since stepping back from their roles as senior members of the royal family. There's so many young families, the schools are great, and there's just a great sense of community here, so we love it. Well, it's so close to nature. You have the river running right through. Um, it's lots of fun. You can walk in the park. It's, uh, it's a good time. But this town councillor doesn't really expect the couple to come and call Okotoks home. The true goal? To put Okotoks on the map. It's an invitation to a beautiful royal family to come and join us here in this community that we've created that's so ideal for families. But it's more than that. It's an invitation to any family. An invitation that worked for Karen and Peter Scantlebury. They moved to Okotoks from England 11 years ago. They're happy to hear Meghan and Harry have been invited too. I've got no objections whatsoever. You know, and if it brings some people to the town, that's great. A town with no real royal history. Instead, some are hoping to make history with Harry and Meghan and little Archie calling Okotoks home. Jesse Wisner, Global News. They could do worse. You could dream big, I guess, that yeah. they're going to move there. How else are you going to dream, right? If you don't try, right? Yeah. Might as well. Some well, competition, too. That a lot would of be people. a true fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we've all dreamed of. Yeah. Uh, Canucks, uh, well, they're kind of their fairy tale mm. start here kind of got burst a bit this afternoon. There's something about afternoon games. Oh, I don't know, I know what it is. Canadian teams don't do well in them because they don't play them too often and uh, just didn't play well against the Ducks. 5-1 loss. 
Just one of those days where the puck just did not want to go in the net for the Canucks. So we'll... Seeing the Canucks on the screen today, I, I had to do a double take. I was like, is this, what, is this really a game? Because I'm just not used to seeing them in the afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, very rarely. I don't play too often. Sometimes 5 o'clock starts on Sundays. Right. But the odd time uh, afternoons. And uh, after this, I'm sure they'll reschedule them all to be in the evening. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. The, uh, the Canucks were hoping to make it a perfect three wins in three games during uh, Sedine Week celebrations at Rogers Arena. So far, they had a 6-2 win over Nashville and a 3-0 win over the Blackhawks with the Twins in the house. This afternoon, the Canucks took on 14th place Anaheim, looking for their 12th win in their last 13 at Rogers Arena. That streak has the reason the, the Canucks have the best home record now in the West. Sedine Week concluding and a celebration of the Sedine's incredible work in the community where they have raised millions for charities through the Canucks and their own private foundations. You won't find better citizens anywhere. Well-deserved recognition. But the Ducks, they were spoiling the party early and it was some friendly fire that got the Canucks. Adam Henrique centering pass off Troy Stetcher's stick through Thatcher Demko. one nothing, and then on the power play, Ryan Getzlaff. Nice feed here to the uh, Abbotsford kid, Derek Grant, who nets his 14th of the year. That's a career high for him. 2-0 Canucks trail after one. Looking a little rusty after a three-day break. Second period, Adam Henrique one more time on the power play. 3-0 Anaheim. Canucks finally wake up and get one back on the power play. Quinn Hughes tees it up for Elias Pettersson. Rips home his team-leading 24th, it's 3-1, and a few minutes later, Jordy Ben's point shot tipped in front by Pedersen. Had that gone in, different ball game. Quinn Hughes also hit the post, so the Canucks were dominating, couldn't score. Late in the period, Pedersen takes a big hit, although a clean one, from Max Jones. Tyler Myers didn't like it, went after Jones. Josh Manson came flying in. Manson and Myers both got double minors, 3-1 after two, but... The game didn't uh, continue with that temperature, and the Canucks couldn't get anything going. And when Sam Steele scored here, that made it 4-1. Minnesota is here Wednesday. The Ducks go on to win this one, 5-1, the final. Well, we did some good things there in the second period. Where, you know, we scored a big power play goal, and you know, momentum kind of shifted. And um, you know, I thought we played pretty well, but I mean, the third period wasn't good enough. We didn't uh, have enough press. Didn't have enough push, and um, that was the result in, in, in the game today. You know, we can sit and dwell on all the negatives we want, or we can <clears throat> reset and get ready for the next game. And I'm not about to sit here and start dwelling on negatives. And he's positive about that. Also today, Oilers and Hurricanes from Raleigh, Edmonton, 2-1 and one without Connor McDavid, who's still expected to miss a few more weeks with a leg injury. That means a lot more pressure on Leon Dreisaitl, and he's carried the mail so far. That goal there ties it at one. His third goal and eight point in the four games since McDavid's been hurt. Nice play there by Surrey's Jujar Kara to bump the puck back to the big German. Second period, more from Dreisaitl. His shot goes to Kyler Yamamoto, who's now scored at a point a game pace in the 18 games since being called up. Then 28 seconds later, former Vancouver Giant captain Tyler Benson sets up Josh Archibald. Benson's first NHL point in his fourth game, 3-2 Edmonton after two. But in the third, five minutes to go, Andrei Svechnikov on the rush feeds out front to Sebastian Ajo, who scores his 33rd of the year past Mike Smith. We require overtime in OT. Canes with a great chance for the win. Svechnikov in alone, but Smith, two huge saves to preserve the uh, tie. And then Dreisaitl with the great feed to Josh Archibald. Scores his second of the game. 4-3 Oilers win. Three-point game for Dreisaitl. Leads the league with 95 points. And the Oilers now move a point past the Canucks into first in the Pacific. 
Blues and Predators. Nashville starting to get on a roll, just three points out of a playoff spot with games in hand. Open the scoring when Craig Smith lifts in the rebound past Jordan Binnington, 1-0 Nashville. St. Louis tied it, but late in the third. Kyle Turris hasn't had a great year, but he is cranking it up as of late. Scored yesterday against the Blues in St. Louis and then snipes the game winner here today. Preds win 2-1, now just a point out of the playoffs, and they have three games in hand on Arizona, who hold the final spot. All right, the NBA All-Star game from Chicago. Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. Pre-game, as you might expect, dedicated to Kobe Bryant, who was killed tragically along with his teenage daughter and seven others a few weeks ago. Pascal Siakam voted in as a starter for the first time, playing along with Kyle Lowry on Team Giannis and their coach, Nick Nurse the head coach of Team Giannis in this All-Star game. First quarter, Siakam will blow past former teammate Kawhi Leonard for the dunk. As you might expect, defense optional in this one. LeBron James throwing it down 53-41 after one quarter. They played by the quarters, too, to raise money for charity, but uh, Kyle Lowry with the three here. It's 84-80 right now for Team Giannis late in the second quarter. Full highlights at 11. Find some ways to spruce up your home at the BC Home and Garden Show. From kitchen and baths to flooring and more, find new ideas and inspiration from the over 200 home improvement companies and hear tips from HGTV celebrity contractor Brian Baumler. Help lift each other up online by taking part in Pink Shirt Day presented by Alpine Credits. Support the CKW Kids Fund by buying your pink shirt at London Drugs, then wear it on February 26th to spread the kindness on the street and online. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Welcome back. Felix Oshie-Aliasim is already a young star on the ATP tennis tour at the tender age of 19. And he's going to win a lot of tournaments in his career, but he's still looking for that first victory after falling in the final today at Rotterdam. Felix is now 0 for 4 in tournament finals, but you know it's just a matter of time before that breakthrough victory. Aliasim, the youngest finalist ever at this tournament, taking on French veteran Gail Monfils, who beat another Canadian, Vancouver's Vasek Pospisil, in the final at Montpellier, France, last Sunday. Monfils has always been one of the most athletic and entertaining on tour, and when healthy, he can play with anyone. Chases down the drop shot and will put away the winner. Got the break to go up 3-2. Oje Aliasim plays his best when he's aggressive. Nice put away at net here for Felix, but Monfils would eventually break him again to go up 5-2. And then Monfils serves out the set. 6-2 to the Frenchman who won the last five games of the set. Second set now. Felix down a break already, trying to get something going, but Monfils had the answers all day. Wins this duel at net. Went up four games to one. Aliasim also made 32 unforced errors. Can't do that against a quality opponent. We go to match point. Monfils with another big serve. And he wins for the second straight week. Also defends his Rotterdam championship as well. 6-2-6-4. And he gives some encouraging words to the Canadian. It won't be long before Felix wins that first title. Well, a sad day from the baseball world. Former Blue Jays great Tony Fernandez has passed away at age 57. Fernandez was a key part of the Blue Jays' early success. He was a key piece of the team that won its first American League East title in 1985. And after being traded, he rejoined the team again to win a World Series title in 1993. He was just a smooth shortstop. 
very good hitter as well, who always played with a smile. Fernandez from the Dominican Republic died after suffering a stroke and struggling with kidney issues. NASCAR season underway with the Daytona 500, the great American race, and look who's on hand, President Trump and the First Lady. And the President gets into the presidential limo and does a lap he wasn't driving at a relatively high speed. Trump is also the Grand Marshal of this year's race, giving the uh, Start Your Engines command. They did race for about 20 minutes, but then the rain came. And it didn't stop, so the Daytona 500 is postponed until tomorrow. Until then, President Trump is the winner of the race. He makes things happen. He does change rules on the fly, so we'll say he's the champ for now. Final round of the Genesis Invitational from famed Riviera Country Club in L.A. Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, Matt Kuchar began the day tied at the top. They played together in the final group, but McIlroy... Had a disastrous fifth hole, making a triple bogey, never recovered, finished tied for fifth. Matt Kuchar was even on the front, but then on the short par 4 10th, approach shot long into the bunker, made bogey there, and at the 12th as well, he ended up tied for second at minus nine. It was Ozzie Adam Scott who held his nerve at a very tough Riviera layout, bends in the birdie putt at 13 to get to minus 11, a two-shot lead. And then at 18, knocks it in to seal the deal. He wins the Genesis Invitational by two shots. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin tied for 26th at minus three. Tiger Woods blew up again, shot a six over 77. Tiger finished dead last, 68th at plus 11. Scotty's curling from Moose Jaw. That's BC's Corin Brown of Kamloops taking on... Legendary Jennifer Jones, uh, she's in as the wildcard team this year. 15th Scotty's appearance for Jones, six wins and six runner-ups. But first in, facing three BC Stones, needs to draw to the button, but uh, heavy all the way, sails through, steal a three for BC. Now BC led six to one at one point, but then it went horribly wrong. Now six four, they missed some shots, then they faced four. Brown's final stone forced to play a very low percentage angle raise. Didn't work. It was a steal of four. Their five-point lead gone, but they have rallied to tie it. They are 2-0 after beating the Territories earlier today, and we'll show you the complete highlights of that one tonight at 11, so they could be 3-0 if they come back. Thanks so much. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight. Whistler Blackcomb with one new centimeter, three for Grouse and 18 for Sasquatch. 12 new centimeters for Manning Park, Revelstoke 9, Fernie 16, and Kicking Horse 7. 16 new centimeters for Big White, three for Silver Star, Sun Peaks 1, and Apex 5. One new centimeters for Mount Washington, 24 new centimeters for Whitewater, seven for Red Mountain, and 23 for Powder King. If you have ever planked, you know it's hard to do. Even holding that position for two minutes oh, can be yeah, challenging. But a new Guinness World Record has been set. Have a look. George Hurt is the new Guinness World Records title. Endurance athlete and celebrity fitness professional Georgie Hood has set a Guinness World Record for the longest male abdominal plank at a time of 8 hours, 15 minutes, 15 seconds. Yes, I said 8 hours. He trained for the past four months, but he's also trained relentlessly since another competition in June of 2018. And get this, he accumulated over 2,100 hours of plank time, 674,000 sit-ups and approximately 270,000 push-ups. Hood has been a U.S. Marine, a special agent with NCIS, and a DEA special agent. And oh, by the way, he's 62 years old. He's a professional planker. Yeah. Spends all day planking. <laughs> what did you say? What did I say? Board? Oh, I board stiff. Board stiff. You do board stiff, dude. Yeah. For eight hours. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Have a good night. <laughs> it's work, it's work.